Hello team and welcome to episode 440 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tom Palmer. Tom is a father, husband and men's coach. Just like many of us, Tom followed the path of what he thought he had to do. He was constantly people pleasing and always looking for the right thing to do versus what he truly wanted to do. Until one day, enough was enough and he began a journey to turn his life around. He saved his marriage in the process and now helps men find self-love, self-respect and the discipline that they need to be the man that they've always wanted to be. In this episode, you can expect to learn how you may be participating in approval-seeking behaviors without even realizing it, what advice Tom gives to men who struggle to express their emotions, along with how Tom saved his marriage from the brink of divorce. So without further ado, Tom Palmer. Tom Palmer, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thanks, Elliot. I'm good, good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. No, the pleasure was truly mine. I'm very, very much looking forward to speaking with you. I feel like we're going to speak about a lot of big topics today, a lot of things that I will personally resonate with, and I'm sure the listeners will resonate with as well. But before we do dive into that, can you give us a little context about who you are, what it is that you do? So who I am, I consider myself, well, I am a, a father to two beautiful sons. I'm a husband to a beautiful wife. And I'm a men's mentor and life coach. The reason I say mentor and life coach is because for me, the life coaching space is about helping you find answers within yourself and really illuminating your gifts and and what you have to offer. Whereas the mentoring space is around more advice and guidance. So maybe you want to get somewhere that I've got in life. I've got the advice to, to offer you, whereas coaching isn't really focused on advice. It's, it's focused on you finding answers within yourself and me helping you do that. So that's the reason I use those two sort of uh, two, two names for that. Uh, but essentially what I do is I help guys typically 30 to 50 years old build self-respect, self-love and strong relationships in that order. That's the order I think it's meant to be in, right? Self-respect first, so you can, you know, respect yourself, have boundaries, have discipline, get to know yourself as a man. Through that process, falling in love with yourself and and getting into a good relationship with yourself so that you can create good, strong, stable, loving relationships with other people. So that's essentially what I do with guides. I love that. And I'm very curious about how you blend the mentoring and the coaching together, because when you look at it on the surface, it almost seems harder to blend both of those and do one individually. It's kind of easy to guide someone and say, okay, go in this direction. This is how I did it. This is how I foresee that you'll do it. And then there's another side of things by saying, okay, well, I'm going to let you discover the answers within you. How do you blend both of those two dynamics together? Yeah, it's a great question. It's exactly why I wanted to add both of those components in because coaching for me felt restricted in terms of, well, I'm not supposed to give advice here, mm. but I'm, I'm never one to, to sort of follow the rules necessarily. I like to go beyond the rules and, and wonder why those rules are in place and why those restrictions are in place. Whereas mentoring is, as you just described, I've been on the journey that you're trying to go on. And so I've got good quality data and feedback that I can give you. So it depends what the person is ultimately trying to do as to what the blend of coaching and mentoring is. But if they want to do something that I've already done, build a healthy, strong marriage, you know, I've been through a lot in my marriage, got to the verge of divorce, you know, made it back to a great place with my wife now. So I have, you know, potent advice and guidance to give someone if they want that. The majority of the work is around them finding answers in themselves and me helping them do that. But every now and then throwing in a bit of mentoring, i.e. potent advice and guidance feels right. And I don't want to restrict myself or restrict the other person from getting the results that they truly want. Yeah, I think that's important because when I hear the two, it's not to say that one can't work without the other, but I feel that they come very, very powerfully as a pair. And that's always what I thought whenever I've heard that kind of trend of, okay, you can only guide, but you can't necessarily tell them versus, yeah, the other way around of things. So I like that aspect. And I think the dynamic between the two can lead to a, a lot of good results realistically. And I think that that comes to the work that I do as well. I do health and fitness coaching, but there's a difference between telling and teaching in a way. You know, sometimes I mm. want my clients to find the answers of how they need to navigate a certain social occasion, for example. But if we're one or two weeks in and they haven't got that education just yet, then I need to kind of guide them on that first. I need to be like, okay, this would be the best thing to do. 
let them go for the experience. So then in the future, then they can kind of make that choice on their own once they've gained that education. So I like the blend and the dynamic between the two. So I'm glad that you mentioned mm. that. Transitioning onto your personal journey, obviously nine times out of 10 or 99% of the time, someone's personal journey with any given endeavor starts. The reason why they do the work they do starts with them. And you just mentioned that you went all the way across to the point of divorce and obviously have come back on the other side. Now you're now inspiring and helping men be in strong and healthy relationships. What did your kind of dark night of the soul look like, so to speak? Yeah, I've got goosebumps, man, as you're, as you're saying that, as I'm remembering sort of back through my journey. And it's not, it's not a journey that's riddled with trauma or started off in a bad way or anything like that. The way I grew up was very privileged, very beautiful. My family's still all together, parents still together. Um, I'll, gi I'll give you the kind of fly through summary. So I grew up in a very stable household. Uh, dad, you know, had a sort of stable nine to five, didn't see him much during the week, um, spent most of my time with my two brothers being kind of raised by my mum. And I think that is where a lot of what I went through and dealt with started, right? So I, I look back on that period and I see my mum using her natural emotionality to bring us up to to control us in a way in a, in a healthy way to make sure she can manage what she needs to get done with three boys running around and causing trouble and my dad really only being around at weekends in any kind of you know meaningful capacity so lacking that kind of masculine influence during the week i think led me to be more in touch with my emotions and more able to sort of communicate on an emotional level rather than having the kind of the discipline and the structure and that masculine presence that i might have needed or that I realized later on that I didn't have. So I think where that led me to was to be something of a people pleaser, actually the world's worst people pleaser, you know, getting, getting love, getting respect, getting attention through emotional channels rather than through sort of self-validation and having that structure in my own life. And, and if I look back on the journey from young boy through to teenager, through to young adult, that featured so much that people pleasing, you know, I followed my dad into the career that he was in uh, because I thought that was the right thing to do. I followed my brothers around just kind of copying what they were doing very much living in the expectations of other people. And that eventually led me to a place of deep unhappiness, right? I was in that job in oil and gas for about 15 years. And I look back on it now with gratitude because it set me up in a really nice way and it was a good stable job. But it was in an industry that I had no resonance with. I wasn't happy in. And as I built my life up, my family, buying a house, buying cars, the job, I realized it was all to do with the expectations of others. It was all because I wanted to impress other people, to get love, respect, attention, validation from others. And I reached a point in my early 30s where I just realized, shit, I've got no idea who I am as a man. I've got no idea who I am. I can pick out these things that have happened in my life, get the job, get married, have kids, buy the car, buy the house, have the holidays, all the things that society says should make a man happy. And I was fucking miserable. Excuse my French. I was just miserable. And I couldn't understand why. I, I didn't have the, the, the awareness to kind of put it together at the time. And it took a huge nervous breakdown, a kind of mental breakdown for me to you know, I was lying on the floor, sobbing in my bedroom, asking, I don't know why I'm here. You know, what am I doing here? What's my life about? That was the dark night of the soul. That was the real moment where I was like, Jesus, everything has to change here. And that coincided with a big decline in my marriage. I was not the man I wanted to be. I wasn't the father I wanted to be or the husband I wanted to be. I was lazy. I was unhappy. And that was all manifesting in the conditions of my life. So after that breakdown, it kind of gave me the space to think I need to reassess everything here. I need to get into those real deep conversations in my marriage and understand what's gone wrong there. I need to show up as a, a father in a different way. I need to, I knew at that moment I needed to quit my job and do something much more meaningful. And it was during that process of, of suffering and darkness that I sought therapy, I sought coaching. And in one of those therapy sessions, I had this kind of vision of me sitting in the seat that the therapist was sitting in. And I thought to myself, one day I'm going to be sat here helping people like me in this situation go from lost and depressed and all over the place to, to building a solid man who can navigate life in a powerful way. So, so that is the kind of fly through summary of where I've come from and how I, how I got to where I am now. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible journey and great that you had that vision to guide you. You probably didn't know how you were going to get there, but you had every sense of 
I know I'm going to be there at some point as well. And it's incredible that you've gotten yourself to that position off that vision that you had. And what I want to do now is I want the audience to kind of put themselves in your shoes if they are able to resonate with this. When you were going through those challenges of not being the man that you wanted to be, kind of being that people pleaser, the person who did kind of everything in this life based on other people's expectations, what did your characteristics look like? What did your day-to-day look like that maybe some men right now will be able to identify with that and be like, wow, I'm doing the exact same thing. And they just haven't had that wake-up call that you had. Yeah, great question. Great question. I love I love that. So my day looked like restlessness during the night and not really being able to sleep from just being anxious, not really understanding why I was feeling that way. It would lead me to staying in bed as long as I could in the morning and then just getting up and rushing off to work, not really making time for myself or any self-reflection because ultimately I didn't want to be with myself. I didn't like who I was, so why would I want to spend time with myself? It looked like poor habits in terms of drinking and pornography and all sorts of stuff like that, simply to soothe the pain that I was in, the, the kind of emotional pain that I was in. Um, it just looked like messiness. There was no structure, no order, no personal development, no time for myself and for self-reflection. It was just all really a act of escaping being by myself and avoiding those feelings that I knew were lurking in the background. So that, that was really how my day ran. No structure, lots of avoidance, not really facing the pain I was in and just trying to shove it down. Yeah, I like that. And I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with them, not giving time to themselves, maybe having some struggles with being asleep at night, using vices to distract themselves as well. So I hope that if anyone's kind of identifying a few of those in themselves, they can maybe start to resonate a little bit and start at least asking the question why, because I think that's maybe the biggest challenge that all of us have, whether we are men or women, is that we don't do enough self-reflection and we just Mm -hmm. kind of go through life. We wonder why different things happen, but if we don't ever take it, an opportunity to stop and look back and be like, well, why did that happen? Then we're never really going to know the answer. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest challenges that men and people go, men and women both go through, to be completely honest. So I'm glad you touched on that. And naturally that transition happened. You sought out therapy, coaching. What other things did you do in your life? And also how did you have the strength? I know that you had that dark night of the soul and it was like, okay, I need to turn things around. But I imagine it wasn't as simple as clicking your fingers and you ridded all of your vices and you were the man you wanted to be within 90 days. Or was it that case? No, no, it wasn't. It was a long, a long transition. I think following the kind of breakdown, what that allowed me to do, and, and just stepping back a little bit, actually, I think it's the, the old adage is true. If you don't, if you don't make time for your wellness, it will turn up in the form of illness. Or uh, I butchered that, but it's something like that, right? If you don't take yeah. time for yourself, that life will create some time that you have to take for yourself. And so that's what I saw my breakdown as. It was like, right, slow down, sit down lay down on the floor, sob, do whatever you need to do just to actually be with yourself and admit what's going on here. My my breakdown actually resulted after the pain and the and the sort of painful self-reflection resulted in an incredibly deep peace kind of coming over me. And in that moment I was able to see what was going on in my life with just massive clarity. To see all the different areas and why they weren't working and where I was people pleasing, where I was showing up poorly. And so that was what inspired me to go get help. I wasn't at this hopeless point anymore where I didn't know what was going on. I was able to see all the different component parts of my life and realize where I needed to do the work. I knew I couldn't do that on my own. So I knew I needed to go to therapy and and have coaching and explore all these different routes. So that was what drove me into the therapy and coaching. And that was massive for me. That was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that. It was the first time that I'd been able to open up and be vulnerable and talk to someone about the deepest, darkest stuff that was going on with me. And that was transformative for me. It was absolutely massive. It was a real heart-opening exercise. And that was what eventually led me to see this vision. And it was it was so powerful, right? I'd never been particularly religious or spiritual or anything before, but I really tapped into something through that breakdown. You know, it was like a it broke me open. It broke my heart open. It opened me to new perspectives in life. And that was what really drove me on this personal development journey. There's something bigger at play here. There's a deeper fulfillment needed. And that is what I needed help with through the therapy and coaching. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned, obviously, you went through therapy and coaching. You discussed things that you've 
never been able to discuss before. It's interesting because you mentioned that you were able to kind of be slightly more in touch with your emotions because you had a lot of your mother's influence. You didn't have that masculine figure at home, which is interesting, but sometimes that masculine figure could do the opposite. It can cause us to suppress our emotions. So where did you stand in terms of being able to express yourself, express your emotions? I know it came up as people pleasing, but did you have a good range of emotional agility or not so much? Yeah, I did. I absolutely did. I think the, the, it was the lack of awareness of what was going on within me that was the problem. It wasn't my emotional intelligence or capability. I was always pretty good at that because I had some good sort of training, but um, it was the lack of awareness around what was going on with me. And when I finally saw all the different areas of my life and what was going wrong and why, then I was like, okay, now, I, now I've got the problem in front of me. I can't solve it on my own, but I need to go speak to someone about it. So I, I was prepared to go to talk to someone and be vulnerable, be open and be emotional I was ready for all of that. I just didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know how to get myself back on the right track. And so that was where therapy and coaching really, really helped. And I did a lot of work on my own as well. I recognized that growing up, I didn't have, you know, a core element of, of who I've become now is someone who is so disciplined. And I just didn't have that growing up. That wasn't instilled in me. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't completely... Uh, overlooked, but it just wasn't something that was really focused on. And I knew that if I wanted to get myself out of the pit I was in and the way I was feeling, I had to be disciplined. I knew in my heart that I had to start working out, I had to start meditating daily, I had to start eating right, treating myself right, all sub-elements of discipline. So I, I kind of did that part on my own, but the therapy and the coaching was really about understanding some of the dynamics of my past, understanding how to utilize those as gifts going forward and how to just kind of structure that as a, as a forward journey. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And with what we're saying on emotions, a lot of men do struggle to actually be able to express themselves, be able to understand those. What advice do you give to the clients that you work with who maybe come to you and they're like, I've never had the opportunity to ever express myself. Maybe I did grow up with that masculine figure, but it was kind of more of a toxic masculine figure who said that, you know, boys can't cry and all these different types of things, which we hear a lot of. What is your advice for those who don't necessarily have as much knowledge about their emotions. I mean, you just needed essentially someone to open the door to let you kind of really understand the things that were going on to really express them fully. Whereas a lot of men kind of find themselves in a position where, you know, where their partner says, ah, they, you know, they're emotionally like dead, they're super vacant, they never talk about how they feel, everything's just an okay and fine. So what do you do with those type of men? I've never met a man whose intuition and gut feeling and, and kind of internal guidance was wrong. Right. So what I always find is that these what these guys want to say, they want to talk. Right. I, I really believe that most men have a deep desire to actually connect and talk and be open and, and not necessarily to be sloppy and messy and word vomit over everyone, but to actually be able to talk on a certain level. It's just they've been taught that that's weak or that's not what men do, but they have this desire. And actually, once you can connect the desire with the knowledge that what they're feeling is actually correct, is actually good for them, then they tend to start to open up. It's because they have lost trust in themselves. They, they have a feeling and they, they, they feel, I should be standing up for myself to this person who's talking to me poorly. I should be leaving this relationship because it's toxic. I know I should be doing that, but I, I can't trust myself because I've never had that validation. I've never had that loop closure to know that my decision is going to be right and my guidance is correct. So what I help them do is tap into their intuition and I ask them to tell me, what do you think is the right solution here? This is, this is the kind of coaching aspect. What do you believe is the right act here? And always they say, I know I shouldn't be in this relationship. I know I should be standing up for myself. I know I should be putting a boundary in place but I, I just haven't got the kind of self-trust to do that. So we start having these conversations. I give them sort of manageable sized challenges to go and do. Maybe it's have a tough conversation. Maybe it's, you know, something in that kind of area. And we just build it up gradually over time. I'm not someone who has sort of magic quick fixes, silver bullets. It's all about relearning or learning for the first time the skills of relating, of loving someone, of respecting someone, of being in a relationship, it's, it can be a slow process, but in a way it has to be because it's like learning a brand new language. They've learned a certain way to relate to people. It's not working for them. So we need to forget all of that stuff and relearn a brand new set of skills to help them create those relationships that they want. That's it. And it's not even just about learning the new language, but it's about speaking it as well, right? We might mm -hmm. have the idea of knowing all these things that we need to do and we might have the tools to go and do them, but we're still held back by the fear of all the 
examples in our life that have told us that we shouldn't be doing this anyway, right? So as you mentioned, I think it's crucial that we don't start fast. And it's like, again, expecting someone to speak fluently in a language that they've only just learned. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen with practice. It's going to happen with those small conversations in the coffee shop first before then you go and have a fluent conversation with someone. So I think it very, very much resonates with that as well. And something that I saw a post that you did is about approval seeking. And I was really interested to see the five kind of behaviors of approval seeking in that carousel that you created and see so many different people. I mean, men and women, to be completely honest, but I think men is, you see it a lot. I would be keen for us to go through that because once again, I want the men to see themselves in this position today so that kind of their eyes are open. So can you talk to us about approval seeking behaviors and how they maybe go unidentified in day-to-day life because they're just kind of such normal things? but why they're causing us an issue. Mm, Absolutely. So I I was a massive approval seeker. And I think where this stems from is a lack of self-approval, a lack of validation. And and to go a bit further into that, it's it's normally in, in the work that I do, it's normally because the lack of a father figure, the lack of that masculine energy that helps to build um, that sense of self and that ability to kind of self-validate, to know you're on the right track, to know that you're doing good and that sort of positive reinforcement. That for me is, is certainly where it stemmed. And for a lot of guys that I work with, it has the same origins as well. So we develop certain characteristics and certain behaviors to try and almost scan rooms and scan people and scan for threats. And we adjust our behaviors to try and gain the approval and acceptance of other people. So one of the examples is making jokes, constantly making jokes, right? Because that is a way, if you can keep someone laughing, keep them smiling, that's a way to sort of keep them in a certain state where they're not angry at you. You're not in trouble with them. You're not, you know, you're not in any sort of danger here. So you'll often find people who have these approval-seeking tendencies to be, you know, constantly making jokes. Filling silences is another one. A lot of people equate filling uh, silences, periods of silence with rejection. Oh my God, this person isn't interested in me. They're not, you know, they're not saying anything so it can't be. Whereas actually another person who doesn't do that is very peaceful with silence. They're absolutely happy with it. And it's a sign of a good connection between two people that you can sit in silence and be okay and not be sort of offended by that. So those are a couple of those behaviors. They're not uh, exclusive to men. I know women suffer with this as well, but through the work I do, I find a lot of those five behaviors cropping up or maybe one or two of them certainly they're the most common ones that i that i find yeah i I thought that was fascinating because i think so many people can know that person either within themselves or within friends or family members that person who never lets it go silent or that person who's always got a joke to tell to ensure that it's kind of their way of it's almost like not just the approval seeking, it's people pleasing as well. It kind of falls into the same bracket as well. It's like, well, if I can make this person laugh and that's where I show my value, then hopefully they'll continue to like me or they'll like me full stop because I'm not sure if anyone does. And like you said, it comes from a much deeper place of ultimately them not approving themselves and them really not feeling like they've got that much to offer. So I think it's really, really powerful yeah. to notice those things within ourselves. And transitioning onto like the characteristics of a man that you think are really, really important, especially in the modern day that we live in, in 2023, 2024, what are some of those characteristics that you think that most men should be upholding within themselves? Yeah, great question. I think the first thing that springs to mind is discipline. And I think discipline covers a a, a bunch of different areas, right? I think self-control is a huge one across so many arenas. Self-control with your habits, with the food that you eat, with the the content that you consume, self-control in that area demonstrates a level of mastery that I think is is something that only a certain kind of group of men tend to have. So for me, that that is one of the kind of core skill sets of a of a high quality man. I think the the, the discipline and the self control there. I also deeply respect men who are very respectful, very loving, very open, vulnerable. You know, willing to get hurt, willing to place themselves in a a place where they could get hurt for the sake of making connection with people. I think that's a really beautiful aspect as well. Self-respect is a huge one. That's something that I lacked. You know, going back to approval seeking behaviors, one of them that I didn't include, which I probably should have done, was kind of acting like the class clown. That was me, class clown, always acting up, trying to get approval, trying to get attention and doing that. And and that to me shows a lack of self-respect, right? You don't respect yourself enough to 
just be who you are in the presence of other people, you feel like you've got to be someone else. And that for me is a sign of, of kind of low self-respect, low self-esteem. So I think self-respect is, is a huge one. Knowing when to leave a conversation, leave a relationship, step away when things aren't kind of going the way you want them to, learning to kind of control yourself and have, have boundaries and not get emotionally triggered, not sort of harm other people with the way that you're acting and disproportionate reactions to things. So I think those, those three are probably the key ones for me. Discipline, self-respect, and, you know, the ability to, to love and respect someone in the correct way. Yeah, I think it's powerful when someone's able to balance those dynamics between their own personality traits, because realistically, they seem kind of exclusive to each other. And I think a lot of people will maybe shy away from the vulnerability thing. Maybe they've never been disciplined throughout their entire course of their life. And it's, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that discipline had never showed up for you. And I always think I, I wish my discipline show, showed up earlier because if it did, I'd probably be doing, you know, a lot better than I, than I am right now had I had those extra years to, you know, with combined with the work ethic that I knew that I already had. But it's interesting that things come when they need to come, right? And then you've just got to really tap on, tap into that and kind of hang on to the coattails of that thing that you're developing as well. So let's go into discipline because I think it's a, word that many of us have a difficult relationship with because of mm. when we think of discipline as a child we don't actually like the idea of that it sounds boring it sounds a little bit harsh and strict it doesn't sound like something that falls in line with the nature of fun that we want to have as a child i have a completely different relationship with discipline i imagine you do it now as well so it's also about the relationship that you have with discipline and how more men can create that in their lives Mm, you're absolutely right. I think the word discipline for a lot of people evokes, you know, a feeling of punishment and restriction and, yeah, and that sort of thing. And, and maybe I felt that at one time too. Maybe, maybe discipline meant that for me when I was younger as well. But actually for me now, and this is a quote from someone or a butchered quote from someone, discipline is actually a form of self love. It's, it's giving yourself everything that you want in life. Being disciplined. You know, whether that's getting up early, working hard, um, having your day set up in a certain way, having the schedule set out with the goal of taking yourself somewhere in life. If you want to build a business, you, you have to be disciplined. You have to, you know, have a good quality schedule. You have to keep yourself fit and healthy. You have to focus well on the task at hand. You, you have to have these very disciplined attributes about you. So for me, discipline is a form of self-love. It's me being as organized as I can and as disciplined as I can with the goal of taking myself where I want to go, having this life that I, I want to create for myself and my family. That discipline is a core part of that. So I think there's two types. There's the discipline and the restriction and the punishment and the negative view. And there's the discipline of actually, if I want to achieve something incredible in this life, I have to organize myself around my goals. And that is what takes discipline. So you can look at it both ways. For me, I had to build discipline in myself, but I knew it was a loving form of discipline. If I'm going to get myself out of this bad place that I've put myself in, discipline is going to be the thing that gets me there. Getting up every day on time, working out every day, praying and meditating every day, being disciplined with the food that I eat if I want my body to look a certain way, making sure I'm organized in my business and I'm serving my clients well. All of that requires discipline. And that for me is is a form of self-love. Yeah, it's huge. And I love all those things that you ran through just there. I think that the key components to your transformation has been the coaching, the therapy, the discipline that you found within your nutrition, your training, your wake-up time, your meditation, your prayer. Those are the things I'm hearing. Is there anything else we're missing there that kind of complete the set for you, Tom? I think it's, it's in the mix there, but I think learning to love myself, right? This is, this is what I teach men to do right accessing love for self because ultimately if you don't love yourself if you don't like who you are you are going to restrict your life so greatly you're not going to want to put yourself in front of other people you're not going to be able to love other people properly because you don't love yourself and you don't know what it feels like to be loved so i think self-love came through discipline it came through giving myself time and space it came through self-reflection it came through healing myself and treating myself like someone I wanted to heal. But I really think when I learned to, to love myself and respect myself for who I was instead of who I thought I should be, that was a massive turning point for me. That allowed me to, to see the world in a different way. It allowed me to want to go after my own dreams instead of sort of living someone else's life. It really kind of brought everything together for me. So I think that that deep self-love was a huge component of my transformation. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because of when you hear men in this space, typically it's like, 
let's embody your warrior archetype. Let's get our mindset right. Let's get our money right. Let's get our bodies right. It's kind of that Andrew Tate archetype that I always talk about on this podcast anytime I talk about the masculinity space, whereas you come from a perspective of healing hearts. And that's the first time I've heard someone take it in such an approach that, you know, the challenge that I find with that approach, and you also let me know how you've had, how much success you've had with this. But most of the time people go down the route of this, like let's tap into the form of masculinity of the past, kind of the very stoic, very warrior type, as I just mentioned, versus the heart healing. And I would have a feeling that most men might be gravitated more towards the warrior archetype versus the heart healing. And you and I both know that all those things really fall hand in hand, right? Like that's the reality mm. of the situation. It's just the way that we frame it. So why is it that you went down the route of healing hearts of men versus, you know, attacking the day, you know, getting the girl, getting the money, etc. cetera? Mm, great question. And, and healing the hearts of men is actually the name of the Facebook group that I've got. I don't know whether you knew that or not, but I've got a free Facebook group where people can come and receive kind of guidance and stuff. So uh, beautifully, beautifully timed. So blending the two, I guess, basic types of of what we're just talking about, the, the traditional stoic masculinity and, and maybe the kind of more Andrew Tate style cars, houses and, and, and women and all that sort of stuff and healing the heart. Look, I think there's space for all elements in any man's transformation, right? I, I always say to guys, your version of masculinity is unique to you. I think there's core tenets. I think there's core aspects of masculinity that are probably common amongst all men, but there are different amounts of each in each unique person's view of masculinity. So whatever feels good for you. For me, if you want to make a ton of money and buy Lamborghinis and, and yachts and all that sort of stuff, awesome. That's beautiful. That's That should be done from a place of overflowing with love, overflowing with money, overflowing with just gratefulness for life and wanting to just deepen the experience. If you're doing it because you want the cars and the yachts to make you feel better, that's not going to happen. You know in your heart that that's not going to make you feel better because you're trying to fill an internal void with an external thing, right? And that never works. But is there anything wrong with having a ton of money and, and buying all these cool gadgets and, and stuff? No, not at all. Not at all. But I think it's the place from which you go about that that's important. So I, I would say I blend it by just trying to focus on what that person's unique idea of masculinity is. So there is the healing the heart. There is the healing the past. There is the understanding your family dynamics, how you grew up, how the past might be making its way into the present, all of that stuff. And then there's actually, how do I want to show up as a man right now? Do I feel like I, I need the cars and need all that stuff? If so, that's fine. That's your unique version of what masculinity is. Let's go after that. You will discover along the way whether indeed that is right for you or whether it doesn't feel aligned and you'll make adjustments. So there's no pre-prescribed blueprint of masculinity for me in the work I do. Someone else might have an idea of what it is. For me, it's about finding out what means what's meaningful to this person, what's fulfilling to this person, and putting them on the track to go achieve that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Because it's like purpose, for example. Like purpose can mean something different to just about every person. So the version of the best male might include some characteristics that fall along a lot of different men, but it's not going to look the same from one man to another, right? One man's priority might be to just look after his family and take a few holidays a year and feel good about himself. And then others might be, like you said, the Lamborghinis and the yachts, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not the seeking of pleasure for the sake of fulfillment, right? And I think exactly. that, as you mentioned, it's not about making anyone feel bad for their specific goals, whether they seem lower in some people's eyes or higher in other people's eyes or let's say materialistic or kind of pretty grounded. Like it's really just about knowing where it comes from. And as long as the place where it comes from is kind of pure and the work has been done and that man is doing it from a healed place, then there's really nothing wrong with that. Right. And I think that yeah, that's yeah. the key to success there. It's just not putting shame on anyone's goals, depending on what they are. Exactly. And I think the, for me, the kind of real core pillars, when you think about, you know, protecting, providing, presiding, making the family safe, all of those sorts of things. I, I do think they are legit. They are correct in my eyes. That would be my base level definition of what being a man requires. That's not to say that if you're not making a ton of money right now, or you're not in the best physical shape to protect another person, there's no shame in that. There's, there's nothing wrong with where you are now, but you don't want to stay there, right? You want to get yourself on a track where you're improving those aspects of yourself. Because without question, without deviation, Men who are able to provide 
a, a beautiful life for their family. Men who are comfortable in with their physique and strong and able to protect. Men who are able to be present and to you know lead a family. They feel better. They feel more fulfilled. They're more connected to themselves. They're better for other people. That for me is is fairly factual. So I do encourage you know work in those spaces, but around the edges of that, there's a thousand different computations of what masculinity is. And, and that's what I kind of help guys find in themselves rather than pre-prescribing. For sure. And I couldn't agree more. And I think it's important to do that because quite often, like you fell into that trap of kind of living out the dreams of others, even if we've kind of done the work, our goals or our kind of North Star might still be of what other people think, right? It might not be truly what we want. And this is the big part of like, yeah, financial freedom and all those other types of things. Like I said, it might just be, like you said, providing a comfortable life for my family. It doesn't necessarily mean being a million or billionaire, yet so many, mm. that's the challenge I have with the archetype of like the Andrew Tate, the Lamborghini and yacht lifestyle. I think it then puts the goalposts so far away. You see this in health and fitness as well. Quite often people just want to be able to take their shirt off at the beach without feeling uncomfortable. They don't want to be shredded on the front of men's health magazine, right? But they've got this idea that that is the ultimate form of masculinity or this is the ultimate form of being in shape. But when you actually peel back the layers, it's not really their goal. They just want enough to be satisfied with the person that they are. So I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. And whilst we're coming towards the back end of this conversation, I'm going to transition into relationships now. And obviously, the work that you've done has a pretty profound impact on your personal relationship. Like I said, you were on the brink of divorce. You've come back to have a super, super healthy relationship with your wife now. So I'm curious to get an idea of what that process looked like. How did you, because of course, doing the work on yourself doesn't always mean actually solving the relationship. Like when I started to do a lot of work on myself, I broke off relationships, you know, and that's the reality. But you decided that yours was worth staying in. It was worth building on. So why did you know that A, it was the right relationship to build on? And B, how did you go about that once you started to do that inner work? Mm, beautiful. So how did I know it was the relationship I wanted to stay in? I think ultimately when I met my wife, I, I loved her in, in the correct way. I didn't love her from a place of like, needing her or trauma bond or anything like that. It was a true, pure love for this person that I respect, I admire, I, I find deeply attractive. I just love this human being. And I knew that. And alongside that, I also knew that I wasn't being the best version of myself. So at the time, I remember this vividly, I was sat on the edge of my bed, laptop in hand, looking for houses to move out into while my wife and two sons stayed in our family home. That was the moment where I was like, shit, it's, it's happening. Like I've, I've lost the marriage. I've, I've messed up badly here. And I, I never cheated. I never did anything like that. I, I, I just wasn't the correct man for those three people, my wife and my two sons. I wasn't the right person for them. But in that moment, I said to myself, I accepted that I'd lost everything. And I said to myself, is there anything that I haven't said to my wife? Have I not been honest in some way? Is there, is there an opportunity now for me to just say what's on my mind because I've let it all go? And, and that was a real breakthrough kind of moment for me. I was like, well, there's nothing to lose. So I might as well just say everything I've ever wanted to say, be completely honest about how I feel and, and see where it goes. And that was the catalyst. That was the first thing that we did that gave me a glimpse of maybe this could work actually. Maybe deep, deep honesty and candid conversations and hard conversations is a, a route to fixing this thing. And over the coming days and weeks and eventually months, we both realized that we hadn't said stuff that we needed to say. We'd held stuff back. We'd not been honest with each other. And when we started having those deep, difficult, tough, awkward conversations, we both started to see a way back. And we both said to each other right then, we, we have to just keep this as a core pillar of our relationship. Honesty has to come before upsetting the other person or conflict avoidance or anything like that. Honesty has to be at the center of this. And that is really how it's gone on from there. We've just made time for each other. We've brought stuff up when it needs to come up. We still argue, we still bitch at each other a little bit every now and then, but we know that there's this base level of love and respect that we can fall back on as and when these sort of tough times come around. I've always known that she has been the one for me and I, I hope she thinks the same way. I think the core thing that got us back together was the previously it was conflict avoidance that got me into that place or avoidance of the truth. And it was honesty and, and having the courage to have those hard conversations 
that paved the way for us to to build a successful marriage now. Yeah, I love that. And I saw in one of your posts that you mentioned that an argument without relate a relationship, sorry, without arguments is not a healthy one. It's just one where people aren't truly saying what they mean, right? And I think that mm. once you lifted the blanket and saw what was underneath and all these things that both yourself and your wife had to say to each other, you were able to at least see things clearly, right? And I think that that's all people want, right? They want that level of transparency and clarity and authenticity as well, that if you just kind of hide behind all these unspoken things, it just usually leads up to being way worse. And those conversations are not easy, right? Like they were probably super uncomfortable, but it's kind of like, do you kind of it's the whole rip the band-aid off the very very quickly thing versus like do you want that slow pain that's just persisting or do you want to look at it straight on and deal with the things that are actually at play because of ultimately both are causing you harm but one is going to be quick and maybe can be healed faster versus the other one that's just going to be that constant pain for a very very long time before it becomes chronic essentially yeah and if you've never been taught you know, conflict resolution as a skill or how to stand up for yourself, how to have difficult conversations. If you, if you never got the blueprint for that, what you do is you see small infractions, small things going un, unsaid, you know, uh, small bits of poor treatment going unnoticed or undealt with red flags ignored or missed because of the awkwardness of having the conversation. And then 10 years later, holy shit, everything's been, mm. you know, swept under the carpet and there's a huge lump under the carpet. And now, Neither of you can function. There's lots of anxiety. There's, there's all these things that you can't talk about. You've cordoned off all this area in your relationship that you can't go in. And suddenly you're, you're not able to connect anymore. That lump in the carpet stands between you and there's no real connection there. And you become like housemates. The sexual connection drops off. All things that happened to me and my wife because we just, we weren't connecting with each other. There was so much unsaid stuff between us that there was no room for a good quality connection. So I got, I let it get to the point where I'd lost everything and I'd accepted it. And, and I sort of said to myself, well, there's, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to lose by saying stuff now because I've already accepted that it's, it's over. But I, I don't want guys necessarily to, to get to that point. I want them to use my pain and my experience to catch that before it gets too bad. Because I think in a lot of ways, I was lucky to be accepted back because I wasn't in a good way at the time. I wasn't being a good father, a good husband, a good anything. And so, you know, God bless my wife for kind of taking me back. And, you know, we did a lot of hard work to do that. But I don't want guys to get to that point. I want them to come work with someone like me when they recognize those early symptoms and signs of the relationship breaking down. Because ultimately, the world needs more intact families, more strong men, more strong women, more strong children coming up into young adults. It needs more of that. That I think is a big reason why the world is in the state it's in right now. The family unit's been attacked. It's been degraded. It's been treated in a way that isn't proper. And so I think hopefully the work I'm doing is, is, is sort of helping to reverse that in a small way. Yeah, I love that. I really do. And I think that that string that you're pulling on there of people not doing things until they get to rock bottom is maybe one of the biggest things that we can do for our personal transformations. I see this in health and fitness. I see this in everything, to be completely honest. And the challenge is, is that most people have, like you said, nothing to lose, or they have enough activation energy so that they can genuinely take the leap that they need to to get out of a hole. But I would just you know, if there's a, any hack to life, like if there's any cheat code, it's literally doing the thing that you know that you need to do when you see the trajectory move in that direction. Not when you reach the bottom, but just when you start to see that trajectory, you just need to course correct. And I don't know if there's anything that you've seen where people can course correct earlier versus waiting to that position that you ultimately got to into. I know I've been there before as well. So many of us have. How do we get people to know that they need to course correct versus wait until they're at very rock bottom before they actually do anything? It's all about self-reflection. Mm. If you if you have a daily self-reflection practice, right, you bring in, you invite in self-honesty. What am I not seeing here? What am I ignoring? Because having that conversation would be really tough. Which, which red flag am I not seeing? What behavior am I letting slide that I really shouldn't be letting slide? If you can sit down, ideally in the earliest hours of the morning that you can handle, sit down when the brain waves are slow and you're, you know, you're in a good place to sort of think clearly and not be rushed around by the day. Sit down and self-reflect. Let me just go through yesterday or the last couple of days and, and what was the sort of behaviors like in the relationship by me and by my partner? Is there anything I need to focus on or be alarmed about or, or address? Right. It's all about self-reflection. 
if you don't take time every day or very regularly to self-reflect, you're never going to have that feedback loop with yourself in order to spot things early, to shut them down before they become big. You know, one of my posts said, address the whisper before it comes a scream. I love that. That is what nice. self-reflection is all about, right? Before it comes a scream, before it turns into a fire, address it, have the courage to face it on because in a year's time, it's going to be a whole lot worse and it might be something that you can't come back from. Yeah, it's powerful. And you're absolutely right. Life gently knocks at the door until it pretty much like <laughs> slams the door in your face, right? That's the reality mm -hmm. of the situation. And the challenge is, is like you said, there's no self-reflection practice. We've been pushing down that intuition because we don't have that self-trust. So it's kind of a, a recipe for disaster. But I think, like you said, the first step to that is just asking yourself those questions and being like, okay, well, where is this going? And is it going in the direction that I want to go into? Because if at least the problem is laid out in front of you, it's much harder to deal with a challenge that you can't see. Whereas if you can see on a day-to-day -day basis, because you're reflecting, you're honest with yourself, then it's going to be much, much easier to deal with. It doesn't make it guaranteed because you might just sit within it and you might feel more guilt and shame from seeing it. But at the same time, there's a much higher chance of you dealing with it. So I think that's powerful. And the one final question I want to ask you on the relationship side of things is, were you able to regain that intimacy? I think a lot of couples can relate with turning into housemates. It's just become something that's comfortable as well, but they lost that spark. Maybe, you know, could even be months into their relationship, let alone years. Is, were you able to regain that spark and was there anything specifically that you were able to do to kind of regain that intimacy with your partner once again so you went from being a loving and passionate partnership versus just a kind of mediocre set of housemates yeah exactly yeah so i i did a post a little while ago about premature ejaculation right and this is a subject that i'm happy to talk about i suffered from it and my take on that is that certainly for me and I think for a lot of other men, it's around integrity. It's, it, it can be around porn use and all that sort of stuff. That definitely doesn't help. But for me, it was around integrity. And what I mean by that is I expected to have intimacy and sex on tap. Even when I was being an asshole, even when I wasn't showing up for the relationship, it was just something I expected, right? Because I shared a bed with this person. That was an expectation for me that even if we'd been arguing all day, I'd done no build up. I'd made no effort to connect on an emotional level to make her feel safe. Nothing like that. I still expected her to, to want me at nighttime. And so that was a massive issue for me. And I think my premature ejaculation problems were around a lack of integrity. It was my body saying to me, you haven't done the work here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you the gift of, of this thing that you want when you're not in integrity. You've done zero work to build this up. You've done zero connection. You made no effort at all. And so I'm going to ruin this experience for you. That's how I look at it. So to answer your question, how did I, how did we kind of repair that? It was by coming back into integrity. It was by realizing that sex isn't just a, you know, five minutes before the thing and then five minutes after. It's a connection that you have to keep live all the time. You have to make effort. People see relationships as, oh, I'm in a relationship with this person now, so that's fine. It's, it's a given. It's like, no, it's a relationship. It's an ongoing thing. Love is a verb, right? It's a, it's a thing that you have to make effort into every single day. And, and when you curate that connection and cultivate it and work on it and build it and respect it and respect the other person's needs for safety and emotional connection, then you will find that the intimacy and your performance and your part in that is much more congruent and aligned and it's what you want it to be so if you're out of integrity your sex life and sexual performance i think will reflect that damn dude yeah that's powerful and i never thought about it from this perspective but in a sense like foreplay isn't the thing that you do 10 or 15 minutes before you start being intimate with your partner it's every mm. single hour and minute outside of you not being intimate in that way right it's like yeah. you said opening the door for them making them feel safe making them feel protected because if that's realistically i'm not sure of the dynamic between men and man and man in that type of partnership between men and women it is ultimately about their safety them being heard their emotions being honored them being communicated with etc so everything that you do around that, that time of intimacy is ultimately going to lead to the intimacy, right? It's not, okay, mm -hmm. well, did I massage her back or, you know, are we arguing or whatever that might be? It's yeah, like yeah. everything that you do around that to build it. And it's almost like, I don't know, in a way, like psychological safety foreplay in a sense versus what people would see in the traditional format. So I love that you touched on that. I've never really thought about it from that perspective. Mm, yeah. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people will hear, oh, I need to make her safe and it needs to be safe and stuff. And, and therefore it's going to be vanilla and it's going to be boring and stuff like that. It's not the case. <laughs> The safety is the, the gateway into opening up whatever you guys want to do together. 
But the prerequisite for any kinky shit that you want to do or any stuff that is, you know, specific to you or your partner, there has to be that initial safety, safe connection there. So it doesn't take away the the excitement and all that sort of stuff. It's a it's a prerequisite to get you to the exciting stuff if that's where you want to go. So, uh, you know, that's just a, that's a point that's come up in a few coaching conversations before that I thought I'd, I'd bring up here. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this because it's kind of like discipline thing. It's like discipline does create freedom. It just means that you kind of got to tick those boxes first to give yourself the opportunity to do all those amazing and fun things. It doesn't mean that discipline removes that. And it's the same with what you just mm. said there. It's not that that safety providing takes away any excitement. It's more creating that space so that can exist without any real boundaries that need to be in place. Like, you know that you're in a safe space, so you and your partner have the opportunity to fully express themselves the same way that you have the ability to show up in the way that you want to, as long as you've done those things that keep you disciplined and keep you showing up as the man that you want to be, right? Exactly, exactly that, nailed it. Amazing. Well, Tom, this has been an amazing conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I feel that we've gone back and forth and probably could do for another few hours or so, but I wanna ask you a couple of final questions. And the first is, what impact do you wanna have on the world? with the work that you do? Beautiful question. Got goosebumps again. I think I alluded to it earlier on, right? I want to help. I want to contribute towards building strong, loving, stable, grounded men. And for me, if I can, if I can do that in whatever capacity, then those men will show up for their families. They will protect, protect and provide and be leaders. They will love their wives. They will bring up beautiful children. That is that is how I see my impact happening on the world through the men that I work with. I believe that men are the answer to the world's problems at the moment. That's a that's a thing that I believe. Don't need you to believe it. That's my belief. But if I can help a group of men to show up more powerfully, to show up in a more loving way, to to show up with self-respect and self-love and all the things we've talked about, that for me is going to have a massive impact on the world. It's going to teach but young boys how to be as a man it's going to teach young girls that they're protected and they're loved by their father and it's going to look you know have the, the the guys looking after their wives in a really powerful way amazing i love that mission that you're on and where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up the work that you're doing best place slash only place really is instagram so tom palmer men's coach on instagram that's where i do all my sort of marketing and content everything like that so if you want to reach out just shoot me a dm i've got none of my sort of calendars open and stuff like that i don't really like operating like that but if you're interested in connecting and having a call and doing some work shoot me a dm let me know where you're at and uh and we'll get together. And the Facebook group as well? The Facebook group, yeah, actually is a, is a free Facebook group. I wanted to open up because I know my coaching and, you know, coaching in general can be expensive and, and mine is, I'll be honest about that. Um, it's, it's for people who are committed to making huge transformations in their life. And there's a, there's an investment that goes with that. But in, in addition to that, I've created a f- free Facebook group called Healing the Hearts of Men. So you can just search on that. We've got about 25, 30 guys in there at the moment. And it's, it's basically zero cost mentoring and coaching in a remote capacity. We're not going to get on calls, but I'm going to share some unique content in there. I'm going to answer any questions you have. We've got some great conversations going. So yeah, welcome to come join that as well. Perfect. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an awesome conversation. Thanks, Elliot. Please. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.